0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 128. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I really appreciate the fact that you're here. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible is a great way to keep up with your reading the same way that you listen to your podcasts. They have a huge selection of audiobooks, including today's interview subject, Get the Guy by Matthew Hussey. So you can hop over to audible.com backslash lively to get a free 30-day trial of the service and to get a free book credit, which you can use for Get the Guy or any other book you've been wanting to read. Now let's move on to today's guest. Today we're speaking with Matthew Hussey. Matthew Hussey is the dating expert helping women to attract the men that they want in their lives over at howtogettheguy.com. He's also the Today Show dating expert, Cosmo's male dating columnist, and he's a New York Times bestselling author of Get the Guy. This episode, of course, is going to be speaking about how females can specifically attract males, but I'll say that, you know, no matter what your sexual identity or orientation may be, or even if you're a guy listening, trying to attract females, I think there's something for everyone here, though we are primarily going to be focusing on Matthew's focus, which is helping women attract men. Please feel free to adapt his techniques or his tactics to ways that work for you in your situation. In this episode, we're going to talk about online dating and what to do and not to do things that we can use to attract the people we want in order so that they approach us. And we're going to talk about the personal journey of personal growth that Matthew's been on in order to get to where he is today at the ripe old age of 28. Let's go to the show. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me, Jess. Pleasure to be here.
0: I know. I can't believe I'm speaking to you. Several of my friends are very jealous that I get to be the one asking these questions today. So let's get started. Let's start with your background. How did you get to where you are?
1: I started my interest in, I guess, self-development at a very young age. Crazily enough, I was about 11 years old, my dad always had, wherever we lived, and we, you know as our family, we had our ups and downs. We, you know, one day we'd be living in a house, the next day we'd be living in a trailer, but he always found room for a bookshelf. And he was always interested in psychology, entrepreneurship, you know, success psychology, all, all of those types of things. And one of the books he had on his shelf was How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I was 11 years old when I picked up that book, not because I thought, how interesting this book will be. I just thought, what a tragic title. You know, how sad would one have to be to learn how to win friends? And then uh, I got about halfway through the first chapter and I was absolutely hooked. I was hooked on this idea that there was this information that wasn't based on what you were learning at school. It was based on something else. Uh, and I was—I knew enough at that stage of life to know that people weren't, just getting rich and successful and helping the world and changing the world uh, by academia alone. I knew there was some sort of secret source that some people had and so much of that was down to the way they acted around people. And so this book kind of was my starting point, it was my my entry to that whole world and I continued to just devour anything I could find in my teens that related to that subject. When I got to about 17, I realized there were these guys in London who were coaching people in how to go and talk to women. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's even stranger than where I started. You know, first it was learning how to win friends. Now it's a a bunch of these crazy, weird guys teaching other guys how to go and talk to women. But one thing did occur to me, you know, it was always... I didn't know everything at that stage, but what I was always pretty good at being self-aware about what I might need to do in order to improve my situation. And at 17, I knew I wanted to start kind of working with people. I was I was really excited about all of this stuff that I've read, and I knew I wanted to pass it on. But I also knew that at 17, very few people on this earth were going to take me seriously as any kind of a coach. I just thought this is, people are going to laugh me out of the room. But... When I went and saw what these guys were doing, what I realized was this was one kind of aspect where no one was going to judge me on my age. They were only going to judge me on my confidence and my ability to interact with people. And I thought, that's great, because that knows no age. You know, I could be, if at 17 years old, I can still go and approach somebody that the next guy can't. That guy is going to look at me and say, how did you do that? So I went in with kind of that as my, as my credibility, if you will, as opposed to saying, well, here's my 50 years of experience on this earth. I said, well, let me, you know, you're, oh, you're afraid to go and talk to that person over there. Let me, let me show you, you know, let me do that. And so I would go and talk to somebody and I'd come back and they'd say, how did you do that? What did you say? You know, what, how, you know, And when you said that, what did you say afterwards to stop there being an awkward silence? And so people really wanted to know the kind of, formula for human dynamics. And I stayed in that world for a little bit, working with guys for about two to three years. I ended up working with close to 10,000 guys. Uh, By the time I was in year three, I was actually filling theaters of guys who were coming to spend the day with me to learn about how to be more confident, how to feel like they were socially more able and more competent, which is equally as important as confidence is competence. And at that point, I was already kind of looking for a transition because there was so much of that world was kind of, from the perspective I was doing it, I was really happy. But it also was bringing me into contact with a lot of guys in that world who really creeped me out. And made me feel very uncomfortable. And there was a kind of weird kind of us versus them approach that so many of the people in that world were taking when they were teaching that stuff. I, I didn't like it. And I was kind of looking for my transition. And then I had women coming to me at that stage saying, well, why aren't you doing the same thing for us? you know we 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 need help we want to be able to talk to guys we want to be able to uh, approach guys in our own unique subtle way we want to have more attraction we want to date better quality people why don't you take what you know here and apply it to us and i always remember talking to my mom about it and saying you know mom what do you <laughs> what do you think cuz my mom's like my best friend in the world and i you know i said to her mom what do you think and she said i don't know Matt. and this was this was coming from someone who had seen me stand and talk in front of hundreds of guys at a time. And you would think that would be scarier somehow. And yet to my mum, she knew better. She was like, Matt, I don't know, you going and doing this for women, this might be a minefield, you might get eaten alive. I realized intuitively she was right, that it might be more difficult. I, I might be dealing with a more scrutinizing set of people. Because guys, when they showed up to a seminar, guys were like, look, I've got my pen, I've got my paper, I don't care who you are or where you're from, If you have the formula, just give me it. And women were different. When I first decided I was going to start actually helping women in their dating lives, I realized, you know what? These people are going to show up and they are going to want to know who I am. They are going to want to know what qualifies me to do this. And I need to have great answers to that. And so I assembled these five women that had asked me, for coaching and I put them all in one room and I sat there and I said listen I don't know you I don't understand you as well as I would like to I'm not gonna pretend as a young man to understand everything about you I'm not gonna patronize you like that I said "But I do understand guys at this stage I've worked with nearly 10,000 of them I know why they do what they do I know why they will date this woman but not want to date this woman. Why they see this woman as the friend and this woman as the love interest. Or why they see this woman as a one night stand interest and not a girlfriend interest. Uh, or why they'll date this girlfriend for seven years and still not be able to, in their own minds, tell themselves it's long term. Or say, you know what, I'm gonna be with you, I'm truly committed to you, I'm gonna marry you. Why do they stay with one person and yet still not commit? I know why they'll leave that woman saying they can't commit and they're not ready for commitment. And then a month later, marry the next person he meets. I said, these are the things I know. I don't know you ladies, but I do know men. So if that's useful to you, let's talk about that. And I had these women in a room and three hours later, they were going crazy because this was the stuff they'd actually been waiting for. I realized they had so much advice from magazines and books and all sorts of other places, friends, family that really had just tried to give them more pop psychology on themselves. But these women were actually crying out for some practical advice. They wanted to know what they could actually do with men. And that was the difference. What I was offering was not, let you know, sit on the couch and let me tell you what's wrong with you. Um, what I was offering was, oh, you don't know what to text that guy right now, let me tell you. You don't know how to have the conversation with him about the fact that you, you need more commitment from him. Let me tell you how to have that conversation in a really empowering way that will leave you better off, not worse off. You don't know how to talk to a guy without looking like you're kind of the desperate person making the first move. Let me show you how to come in under the radar when you do that. That was what I gave. And it evidently was very different to what people were hearing before. And it started this whole organization I have now called Get the Guy where I now have a New York Times best-selling book by the same name we have had over three million women come through our programs and it has turned into a really huge global phenomenon that we have people from all over the world joining us for and now write for Cosmopolitan I have a page in, in Cosmo every month as well as my YouTube channel where we have perhaps the biggest or one of the biggest YouTube channels, Uh, in the dating sphere. It's been a journey, but we're now at the place where we work with so many women across the world that it's inspiring now to know how many women are actually following this advice.
0: And I have to say, I've watched probably a few hours by this point of your YouTube channel in preparation for this interview. And there's so much in it. And one of the things that I can't help but from also being in a similar industry, if you will, is that the advice often is very tactical, like what to say in the text message, which is incredibly helpful for especially someone like me that was only single for eight weeks in their 20s to now be realizing those little things that texting wasn't a thing when I was... (laughs) back at dating. I feel so old saying that, but it was true. It was relatively true at that time. Maybe we were just starting to do it, but it's not the way it is now. But I'm curious, is Anthony Robbins one of your uh, go-to people when you're seeking? Because I know you'll drop, you know, Brene Brown in there sometimes. You're not always speaking specifically about the tactical dating. Sometimes it's actually the mindsets we can have in any area of our lives, dating or otherwise. And sometimes I get this vibe of like, you've done some Tony Robbins work. Is that true?
1: I think more so than that, he's really been a hero since I was maybe 13 or 14 years old. I was, I came into contact with his work first because I was reading it. Um, As I said, when I started that journey at 11 years old, one of the books that inevitably took me to was Tony Robbins. Um... Uh, I think it was Awaken the Giant Within that I was reading at that time. And uh, another book of his called Notes from a Friend, which is a nice thin little book for anyone who wants to spend 10 minutes reading something inspirational. It's actually a nice little thing for quick reference. But I had a friend who his dad was very big into Tony Robbins, not that I knew it at the time, and would take his whole company to a Tony Robbins conference every time Tony was in London. Where I was living at the time, where I grew up. And my friend came to me at high school one day and he said, Listen, my dad is dragging me to this thing this weekend and I don't want to go. And it's with this guy and, you know, he's this big crazy guy. And I, you know, I, I, I need someone to come with me. Will you come? And I said, Well, who is it? And he said, It's this guy, Tony Robbins. And in my mind, I was jumping for joy. Because I said, oh my God, this is the guy I've been reading about. I know all about him. And I'm going to get, I'm, you know, I'm actually finally going to get to see one of these mentors that I've been, you know, being coached by from afar in person. Oh, I tactically, I, I looked up at him and I said, you know, I'll go. But I said, but you owe me one. I went and it blew my mind. And, you know, to me, Tony Robbins was the marriage between the content that I loved And the impeccable delivery of that content. And to me, you know, in in what I do, in what you do, you have to have both. You have to have great things to say. But you also have to be able to deliver them in a way that, A, makes people want to hear it. And is really engaging and entertaining. You have to entertain people. When I heard Tony up there, I went, wow, this guy's a world-class performer. I didn't know anyone else who could do public speaking like that in the world. And I said, this guy's world class. This is what I want to be. I'm not just going to be someone who has great content. I'm going to be a performer. So for years, he's been my mentor. And I think what happens in life is you start by having these people that you kind of, in your own way, mimic. And part of that is because you're insecure and you just want to be like your heroes and Part of it is because you don't have enough of your own stuff. (laughs) You know, sometimes when you haven't been on the earth long enough, you don't have enough of your own content, enough of your own ideas. You don't even mean to sometimes, but you end up absorbing things that you hear. And, you know, your hope always somewhere along the way is that you become confident enough and skilled enough at what you do that you develop your own voice.
0: I think you have.
1: I appreciate that. I, I really do. But
0: I can tell the influence. That's what's beautiful about it. My Tony Robbins was Stephen Covey growing up.
1: Ah, interesting. Yeah.
0: I think you could, if you listen to me long enough, get the themes that resonate in that deep level. But for you, it's totally your delivery. You don't deliver at all like Tony does. But I can tell you're a student of Tony. And that's kind of beautiful.
1: It's funny, you know, if you watched probably, you know, there's somewhere out there, there's some videos, I'm sure, floating around of me doing seminars at like 18 years old which is bizarre, even when I say it now, if you were to watch those, you would probably see me more along that kind of mimicking scale than where I am today. And it would probably be an interesting study to kind of look at that because it it is interesting to see how people develop their own voice over the years. And, you know, I would say to anyone listening right now, in the beginning, when you're doing anything, there is a natural tendency to kind of mimic the people that you admire. And, and it's not something to be ashamed of, but it's also something that, you know, when you feel like you're doing that and you're doing it well, then it's, it's kind of time to say, how do I graduate? You know, how do I now I need to now be confident enough to know that I have a voice that's worth listening to in its own right. And it doesn't need to be a poor version of somebody else's. You know, I really can deliver in a way that people will authentically see as me. And that to me, that's where you start to break. Like that's where success comes just on, on the other side of you really tapping into whatever your voice is. But it, it takes time and it takes confidence. And it, it took me a few years to get to that point.
0: Actually, it's funny segue, because obviously we're going to speak on dating for this episode. And in a way, watching your class, as I was telling you earlier, which people have heard me talk about listening to you on that dating class while drinking tea and coloring was like the most epic amount of joy I've had in many, many months. It's so fun. And it gave me that confidence. It gave me that ability, which we're going to talk about some of the techniques now. But I'll also say now I don't necessarily feel the need so much to think through what did I learn, but now I just kind of know I can go out there and do this on my own and I have some general principles and guiding themes, but I don't necessarily need to be so worried like I was before. So it kind of in learning, I was able to then let it go and do it on my own. But you really helped me get that confidence to get started.
1: I love that. Thank you so much. And, and by the way, thank you for asking me that question because you know I, I think it's so important in life to acknowledge your influences and your heroes you know I, I think it's part of paying respect to the people that have influenced you and and you know given you that that initial sense of what's a good path to take or, or what's a good way of doing things uh, so it's, it's a way of paying respect so i appreciate you taking me there
0: my pleasure i never heard you say tony robbins i just knew because i know <laughs> this work that i was like this is guy that's into tony
1: Well, you know what's funny? It's one of those things. I I think more in recent years, I talk about it a a lot. You know, I do retreats three times a year for, you know, exclusive groups of people that want to come away for five and a half days of like really intensive transformational coaching. And when I'm, you know, for years on the retreats, people really get to know me and they get to know my influences and where I come from. And so in those retreats, I really have talked a lot about it, but perhaps not so much in the YouTube world. And part of that, I think, unfortunately, some of your more old school influences, the ones that influenced you in the very beginning, they don't get referenced enough in your new stuff because you're always referencing the last book you read, you know, or the people that you, you discovered in the last six months. So I, I'm sure I haven't given enough credit to him in, in my public domain.
0: Let's move on to what I've learned that helped me become so confident in dating. How can we feel more confident in attracting the types of people that we actually want to meet?
1: Well, the starting point for answering that question is to say there is a reason that we don't meet enough of the people that we would like to meet. Uh, In fact, there are a couple of reasons. One of them is that we simply don't take enough risks in life, meaning we go out of our house, we interact with our friends and the people that we feel comfortable with. We go out to a bar, we sit there and we have conversations with the people we know, and not enough of us are proactively going out and approaching the people we don't know. It's no different to a business where you continue to talk to the people you already have relationships with, but you don't go out there and fish for new business because inherently going out there and searching for new potential clients or contacts is potentially going to create rejection. Those people may not want to know you. They may not care who you are. They may not want what you have. So many of us in business, we prefer to stick to the clients we know and not go for the the cold call, so to speak. And it's the same in our love lives. Uh, We don't go for the cold calls. We don't go for the people that we don't know. And those are very often the people we need to know in order to have the love life we want. So there's that. Now, even if we are taking risks in our love life, Many of us are taking it with the people we feel safe with. So we will be out and will unconsciously be drawn to the person who is a level. And I mean this in the objective, uh, in the subjective sense, we go for the level of attractiveness in somebody else that we think we can get away with. We'll look at somebody, and that could be based on looks, it could be based on how successful they seem or how intelligent they seem or how in demand they seem, but we gravitate unconsciously towards the person who seems like they're in our league. Now, the danger of that is that we are going for people who are in our league in our heads in other words our level of confidence right now and if our level of confidence is low and subconsciously we don't think we're worth very much then we start going for people who we don't think are worth very much because in our own minds they're the people that won't reject us whereas that really hot person over there that we'd secretly like to talk to is the one person we can't talk to because we feel like they're really out of our league so we tend to go for what's comfortable. And when women say to me, I always end up dating the same guy or the same version of that guy. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep attracting this guy? It's because that's who you're comfortable with. And when you can step outside of what's comfortable and start attracting a different type of guy, that's when you'll get the guy you actually want. So one of the techniques which you referenced, which I help people to go out there and do is called the white handkerchief. And the white handkerchief is essentially a risk-free way of approaching people. Here's how the logic goes. A lot of women say to me, well, I can't just go up and approach any guy like you're talking about because that would make me seem desperate. And I don't want to seem desperate. I'm old-fashioned. And I say, well, if you're not making the first move, you're not nearly as old-fashioned as you may think. Because actually, people, when they're old-fashioned, if you take a woman from, say, 100 years ago, that woman would walk past a guy, drop her handkerchief, and keep walking. The guy would see the handkerchief. He'd say, well, this is an extraordinary opportunity to be a man. And he'd pick it up, and he'd take it over to her. And he'd say, madam, you dropped this. And she'd say, did I? They'd now have a conversation, a conversation that he thought was his idea. But it wasn't his idea. It was her idea because she chose who to drop the handkerchief in front of. So now we flash forward to 2016. What I can help women to do is drop the handkerchief in front of the guy they actually want, in front of the quality man they actually want to come over to them instead of the sleazy player type who is running up to every woman in the bar. Because most women just meet the loudest guy in the bar right? They don't meet the best guy. They meet the loudest guy because by definition, if you're not out there going and talking to people yourself and taking that risk, you're going to get approached and you're going to be chosen by the guy who is talking to whoever he can at any opportunity. That's not necessarily the best guy. So you want the guy in the corner of the room who's a little bit more, uh, reserved about just running up to every attractive woman who do- who isn't the player type, who isn't that kind of sleazy guy you may need to drop the handkerchief. A nice, easy way of dropping the handkerchief, because I know people out there are thinking that right now, okay, well, how do I actually drop the handkerchief? Um, What you do is you get close to a guy to begin with, and then you look over at him when you're close by, and it doesn't feel like such a big deal to walk across the room, and you say, can I get your help with something? And you ask a favor. The favor could be, could you hold my jacket for two seconds while I give these drinks to my friends. Let's say you're at the bar. Could you hold my jacket while I give these drinks to my friends? I don't have enough hands. He says, of course. He takes your jacket. You take the drinks over to your friends and you come back and you say, thank you so much. You're a gentleman. How's your night going? He gives the jacket back and he starts talking to you. He doesn't feel like you approached him. He feels like he's doing the work because actually he did you a favor. And I mean, we're getting into male psychology now, but every guy has provide and protect instincts when it comes to women, if that's who they're attracted to. They want to provide and protect. So when you give him the opportunity to do you a favor, whatever that may be, and there are a thousand different ways to do that, he now feels like he's providing for you in some way, that he's doing something for you. And that's a very powerful way for a guy to start an interaction with you.
0: I've actually thought about this and how I can use this in my own day-to-day existence (laughs) without even necessarily going to the bar. A few ideas for people that are thinking maybe they don't go to the bar or how could I do this in a non-bar setting. One way I've thought about is if you're at a coffee shop to ask for the password for the Wi-Fi.
1: That's awesome. I love that.
0: Or to ask them before if you have to go to the bathroom to watch your stuff. So that's kind of like a little nicety that we often do in society is, hey, can you watch my stuff while I go to the bathroom? Well, that's a great, easy thing. That's, you're going to have to ask someone likely anyways. You probably would. Why not ask the person you actually want to talk to?
1: I think that's a, that's a fantastic use of it. And all you're really doing is giving a guy a license to keep talking to you. That's it. I think that so many women f- think that a guy is not talking to them because he's not interested. And I always say, have you ever considered the possibility that he's not talking to you because he's interested? And a lot of people, when they hear that, it scrambles their brain because they go, what do do you mean? And there's this kind of blind spot that they have where the fear that they have when they're trying to talk to someone they really like that stops them from doing it, they don't think applies to the opposite sex. (laughs) It's this, you know, in psychological terms, they call it a scotoma. We have this scotoma that, that's, that makes us not realize that the, the opposite sex is very similar to us in that way. And that a guy can quite easily go and strike up a conversation with someone he's not attracted to because there's no harm in it. There's no rejection there. But as soon as he really thinks someone is attractive, that woman instantly becomes the most difficult person in the room for him to approach. And if you can just make it, I'm not telling women to do the work for a guy, but if you can just make it a little bit easier for him to do his role, the amount of men you have in your life will multiply dramatically. And all you're doing is dropping the handkerchief.
0: And actually in the class, you shared this one story that wasn't even the handkerchief technique itself, but really to me captured the entire spirit of this idea of confidence in dating or social situations. And I'd love for you to share it because I just, it tickles me. I've told it to so many people as like the thing that made it all click. So can you describe the small girl that walked away from you at the bar and talked to the two guys after an alumni retreat?
1: So we had this one woman who came to our program and was so nervous on the program, wouldn't talk to anybody. This is the type of person that would freeze up when she saw not just someone attractive, but when she would come across a guy, you you know, this is this type of person that was too shy to talk to anybody. And she did the program. And actually back then, when we used to do our get the guy programs, we used to take people out and we used to have them actually approach people. You know, nowadays we have huge seminars and, you know, we give people these cheat sheets to go out and do it themselves. But back then I was still going out to the bars and to the social settings with people and we would watch each other and and do it together. And, you know, it was this really immersive experience. And this one woman just had such trouble talking to anyone. And then we would do these reunions, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks later after the program. We had one of these reunions where I was with this group of women. They'd been through the program recently. And this one woman was completely different. This woman who would freeze up. I was standing with her. And this was me now being excited about her transformation because she was glowing. She had a different energy about her. She spoke differently. I was standing with her and trying to hold her attention now by the way it was the wrong way around it wasn't her trying to hold my attention i was standing there asking her so what so you know what have you been doing and in the last few weeks how has it been going i was mid sentence and this woman just disappeared from my sight and at first i was sort of, sort of ego was bruised i said why is she leaving i saw her walk towards two guys at the bar these two tall guys and this was a, a you know really petite woman she walked past these two guys looked over her shoulder in a flirtatious way and said well you two are very tall and then kept walking and i watched these guys turn towards her and almost do you know like the crab walk across the room where people are like sideways walk shuffling over without wanting to look like they're actually getting closer i saw these guys like shuffle over to her and start talking to her. She had their attention for the rest of the evening, the entire time I was there. And to me, it was everything. It was the fact that she was bold and like, firstly, she realized that my conversation with her wasn't as my dad would say, getting the baby a new bonnet, (laughs) right? that wasn't the goal for her. That wasn't getting her what she wanted. She came to me in the first place to meet a guy. So she didn't use the excuse that she was going to stand there talking to me all night and, oh, I didn't meet anyone because I was talking to Matt and that was so enthralling and blah, blah, blah. No, she knew what she was about that night. She wanted to meet people. So she wasn't afraid to peel off and go and do that. She was bold enough to say something very playful to two guys without feeling like she needed some really kind of vanilla entry point of hi how are you where do you you know do you work around here blah 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 she realized that she could immediately just say something ultra playful and grab their attention and because she was slightly cheeky and playful she had these guys enthralled from the moment she opened her mouth and then she actually was able to carry on the conversation and have a great time with these people it was everything that we want people to be able to do it encapsulated in this moment with this woman. And it's uh, it's very powerful when you see that, especially from someone who, when they first come to you, can barely get their words out. They're so shy.
0: Yeah, I loved it. It really did take what, at first, you know, we talked about this kind of with the Tony Robbins, at the first, you use the things that you're learning and you kind of replicate. And then eventually you don't even replicate. You just know it and you're just authentically sharing from whatever place makes sense. But it's nice to have those first few tools in your tool belt like asking for the favor to always go back to or just to pull in whenever you can or it works, but it doesn't even need to go there. It can be anything.
1: Absolutely. They're like training wheels. And, you know, it's nice to have the training wheels sometimes. And if you haven't ridden the bike in a long time, you know, sometimes it's nice to put them back on and just get, you know, find your balance again. And it's the same for me, you know, if I have a relationship and, you know, I come out into the single world, you know, I, I can be as rusty as anybody. And, you know, then to me, it's reverting back to the things that I teach. It's going back to the core strategies and the core things that allow me to go on autopilot. Because that's what people forget. When your brain is trying to process how afraid you are of the rejection, at the same time as trying to think of what you're going to say when you walk up to someone, at the same time as trying to process what you'll say, if that person responds, and then you've got to carry on the conversation. Um, all of it is so much. And when your brain is trying to make that many decisions at the same time and trying to process that much information, you kind of go into paralysis. You, you don't do anything. So anything you can do to automate that part of the process whilst you're becoming more confident and more competent is really, really valuable. And, uh, you know, I have the same thing anyone else does. If I see someone really attractive, my brain can blur <laughs> the same way anyone's can. And you go, oh my God, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? Well, sometimes when you just have something that you know you can say that works, that is a real gift at that moment.
0: Yeah. For me, it's what's the favor? What can I, what's the little thing I can ask if I need to find a way my mind's going blank?
1: And the nice thing about that, of course, is that it's not prescriptive because what you're taking there is the principle and you're still allowing yourself to make it your own. So you're asking, you're saying, all right, what's the favor, right? What favor do I ask? That's the part that allows you to go on autopilot. And then you're just able to adapt it to you or the situation or whatever's going on around you. So in that way, you both get to use the strategy, but not be prescriptive with it.
0: Yes. And I know that you have a very specific take on online dating, which I think goes against what at least the people I know right now in my life currently that are single are really relying on the online dating thing to facilitate an initial conversation with potential partners. So I know that's not your favorite thing. So would you mind sharing why?
1: Well, you know, I've evolved on this over the years and probably where I've arrived at is still where I began in terms of my mindset, but it's slightly more balanced. When I first saw what was happening with online dating, it made me nervous. Because I said, you know what, We're like we do in every area of our lives, this is just a drive towards more comfort, right? This is a way to feel more comfortable in our dating lives and to allow us to do less. In other words, I now don't even have to go out. I can just talk to people at home. What a chore it is to go out and have to meet people and take that horrible risk of you know, walking up to somebody in a coffee shop or, or, or elsewhere. Now I can just somewhat anonymously reach out to them online without actually facing the rejection. Something troubled me about that. What troubled me about that was not just that I felt like there was an inherent benefit to taking risks and being rejected, that there's some benefit to that. I mean, let's be honest. If I go up to a woman, if I, if I keep approaching people and keep getting rejected, it might be telling me something I need to know. That might be a lesson I need to know about the way I'm approaching people or my mannerisms or, you know, maybe I'm being too aggressive with it or I'm, I'm not kind of calibrating the way I'm doing it to be a, just a cool person. I need to know that because if I don't learn it there, it's sure as going to come out on the date. Online dating does not save us from having to meet in person. All it does is mean we meet in person for the date, not for the initial, hi, I'm Matthew. So when you meet for the date, you still, like people forget this, I think, you still have to be a cool person. You can't show up to the date and be weird online dating gremlin who's just crawled out of the nest and is now actually going to interact with someone in person. You have to still be a cool, real, genuine person who knows how to be charismatic, who knows how to be charming, and who knows how to hold court. All of the same skills, by the way, necessary in approaching someone in the first place. So I sort of looked at it as something that was systematically going to erode the skills necessary to date effectively. And I think I was right. I look at people now and I think they are less prepared for dates than ever because given that they're now meeting people online, the part where they actually go on a date, it's even more like jumping in cold water because they haven't actually done the tough initial step of meeting that person in real life before seeing them for a date where they spend an hour with that person. So I was right, I think, but I was also probably not recognizing that online dating is in some cases an effective tool. And the point about it being an effective tool is that online dating can be a really effective tool if used right. I, I always say, if you're doing online dating the right way, you should be spending a couple of hours a week on the website or the app and the rest of the week on dates. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be the other way around. Three quarters of my week shouldn't be spent online and one quarter of it is spent on a date. And I also am a big proponent of getting on the phone prior to meeting up because I think that you can really suss out within 10 minutes on the phone whether you're likely to have a great time on the date and it's worth the 10 minutes on the phone to save yourself the evening that you might spend with the wrong person.
0: Okay, so that's new to me. I haven't gotten there in your <laughs> content yet. So, how would you actually do that if right now I'm new to all of this stuff? I'm not looking for anything on a match or eHarmony or anything like that. So, I'm more on the apps side of things. That feels like a strange conversation to have on the phone. From what I've experienced so far, it's been the conversation goes well. If it does, then it leads to let's get a number and text to have a date in a meetup location and then we go on the date. So, the phone call for that 10 minutes would in my head, at least current plan, maybe you can help me with this, would be figuring out how do I have this 10 minute conversation that's not actually leading to scheduling a date? How do you have that conversation?
1: Well, I think there's something to be said for a woman who knows what she likes and knows what she wants. And it's actually quite attractive when you see a little boldness from a woman. So if you were... texting with a guy and you said, I'm just about to run into a meeting, but I'm around around like seven o'clock tonight, I'm around, you should give me a call. That message alone for a guy, is kind of interesting because it first immediately going to separate you from everyone else he's texting. Everyone else he's texting is putting up with the standard of us just communicating by typing. You're now the one woman who's actually confident enough to be like, hey, I'm, I'm in meetings all day now, but I'm around at seven o'clock. You should give me a call. Even, you could even throw on the end of that so I can hear your voice, exclamation mark. Um, the, it, it's almost an implied kind of order, right? It's like, you should give me a call. You're not saying, do you want to give me a call? It's like, you should give me a call. No question there because I know you're against questions. No question. Some of the time, yes. You know, I think that sometimes they introduce doubt where there shouldn't be. And, I, you know, I, I actually call this an embedded command because you can also frame it slightly more boldly and say, I'm, I'm in meetings the rest of the day, but give me a call later on and we, and we can chat. The give me a call later on is actually kind of a relief to a guy because he's like, oh, oh, I can call. Like, that's okay. She's not going to see that as weird because guys have the same feeling. Well, if I call her, is she going to think I'm a complete weirdo? But when you say, give me a call, you're giving him a license to call. And it's also a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Because now as a guy, I'm like, oh, cool. Huh. Haven't done this in a while. All right. Now he's like, you know, he's a little, he's getting up a little sweat when he's dialing your number because he's like, oh God, I'm, di- I'm, I'm actually calling this. There's, there's a real person that's going to answer the phone and, you know, and, and think how much you can connect in 10 minutes on the phone and how long it would take you to connect that much by text message.
0: Oh yeah, I love this. This is awesome.
1: <laughs> so, it's it's you're you're truly going to connect on the phone or not by the way, which is also important to know. But you'll actually get to know each other a little bit. You'll hear tone, what a concept. You'll hear the way his his voice resonates, you'll hear uh, his ability to express how good he actually is on his feet. In other words, is the wit in his messages a wit that takes half an hour per message? Or is it real wit <laughs> that is, you know, exists the moment I say something? Is he able to come back with something interesting? You also, on the phone, get to ask some pretty interesting questions. If I said to somebody, so are you, you, know, are you a reader? Do you, you know, do you have any books you'd recommend me? And they can't recommend me a, a book. It doesn't mean they're wrong for me, but it probably would be a red flag for me.
0: I would love that question.
1: (laughs) Right, because you're a reader and you'd be like, oh, well, you should try this book or whatever. And then I'd be like, "Ah, interesting. This is a woman that I can sit with on a Sunday and we will happily sit there just reading together and chilling and not have to entertain each other the whole time. I could spend my whole weekend with this person. You know, that's where that thought goes to. Or if I said to someone, So, you know, anything exciting happening this week? And the person went, "Uh, nah, just a a normal week, really. That's a big red flag for me. Because what I'm looking for, I don't need them to say, oh, well, I just got back from climbing Kilimanjaro and it was incredible. and I don't need the adventure and the craziness and all of that. What I need is an internal sense of excitement. They could have had the most the most routine week of their life, but still tell it to me with some excitement. Like, oh, well, I've been doing this and I'm, you know, up to this at work and it's so cool. Or, hey, you know, this morning I finally found a great latte in my area and I'm a complete coffee snub. And I'm so excited because I finally found the most amazing latte and it's just made my day. I don't care what little tiny thing they get excited about. What I want to know is, are they a person that is passionate in life? And if I ask them the question, what's going on in their dad? You know, what's going on this week? And they're like, "Uh, you know, nothing, just another week. That's who you're going to marry. Just another week. Yeah, don't think that's going to change 10 years from now. Like 10 years from now when you're asking that person, how's your week? Don't think their answer is suddenly going to morph into, oh, my God, I've had the best week. It's been so much fun, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. No, they're going to go, you know, just another week. That's who you're marrying. So at least know that now. Ask the questions that allow you to know that that now and pay attention to the red flags. This is what no one ever does is they don't pay attention to the red flags when they hear them on the phone call.
0: Is that the red flag?
1: For me, it would be. Now, of course, there's a ton of listeners right now judging me and saying, oh, what a judgmental person he is. What, so, because I don't read books, I'm not right for him? Probably. I'm okay with that. The area of my life where I'm gonna, this, this is the person I'm choosing for the rest of my life. I'm gonna be picky about that. And anyone who tells you that, you shouldn't be so fussy is talking nonsense, generally speaking, because this is the one person in life you should be extra fussy with. This isn't a person you're just going out to the movies with this Saturday. This is the person you're going to be sharing a bed with for potentially the next 40 years. I think it's worth being fussy here.
0: One thing I have not found in all your videos, and I've looked for it and I've searched for it. So A, video idea. And B, can you answer the question here? So let's say the 10 minute call or the date, you enjoy them. You think they're, you know, fun to be around and all those types of things, but you're not feeling a spark, but you'd still like to possibly be their friend. Or so there's two parts. How do you t- transition to friends? And how can you tell them it's not a fit after that 10 minute conversation? Because I'm guessing that person's going to definitely be thinking if I'm calling at seven, we're definitely going to probably go on a date as well.
1: There are different schools of thought on this. One of them is to just be super honest and say, hey, you know, romantically, I don't think we're a fit, but you'd seem like a really awesome person and we should be friends and hang out because you're great. That's one way of doing it, and there's nothing wrong with that way of doing it. It's admirable. I admire anyone who lives to that level of honesty. There's no getting around the fact that it's going to hurt the person. We're lying to ourselves if we say that it's not, because who wants to hear that you just want to be their friend? <laughs> I, no one. No, we, no, we don't want to hear it from anybody, and no one wants to hear it from us. We may not want someone, but we still wouldn't want them turning around and saying, I just see you as a friend. Even with the people we don't want, we wouldn't want to hear that, because we secretly all want to assume that we're really sexy and attractive, and that given the chance, someone would want something romantic with us instead of friendship. So there's the ultra-honest way, the less honest way, which I still think in certain cases can be effective and dare I say, can spare someone's feelings, is to keep them at arm's length, not you know, invite them to anything one-to-one for a little while. And to just create a much more fun, sociable vibe of Inviting him and his friends out, you know, when you and your friends are going out, or if there's a kind of an event that you're going to that you think him and some people that he likes would like going to, then invite them along. Keep it social, keep it group until later down the line when he realizes, oh, she's really not flirting with me. And also, she's clearly flirting with that guy over there. This is a different kind of relationship we have. I think that some kind of mixture of the two is probably the best solution to say to someone, you know, I, I think you're great to spend time with. I'm either not interested in you romantically or I'm just not really looking for something romantic in that way right now, depending on how honest you want to be, but then still invite them to things. You know, back, that to me, that's key, is that when you tell someone that you just see them as a friend and that you want to be friends, actually back that up by inviting them somewhere don't say that and then it you know and then not do anything if you really do want to hang out with them invite them to an event invite them to a group setting where it's not just you and them um, but show them that you're proactively trying to engage them in your life and i think those things often do turn into friendships when you do that because someone realizes you're not lying to them and it wasn't just you paying lip service you genuinely do want to hang out with them
0: one of the things you talk about is the rare gem technique. And you tell the story of how someone dumped you and said that you were boring because you only had one facet. So what's the rare gem technique? And also what other facets have you added to yourself since then?
1: Yeah, the story goes that I um, had a very tough breakup where I, let's just say I didn't do the breaking up really. And a little while later, we were on the phone as friends, and I, I asked her the honest question. I said, you know, what, what was it? Why did we break up? And she said, you were boring. And uh, I, after trying to recover from the punch to the gut that that was, I said, why? And she said, well, when we first met, you were the hardest working person I know, and that was really attractive. But then when we were in a relationship, that's all you were, and you weren't anything else. And I, I just, I got bored. You know, we weren't, we didn't do anything spontaneous. We didn't go out together. We didn't, you know, go on adventures. We didn't grow together. It was just you in your work life focusing and never paying any attention to anything else. You became so one dimensional and it really made me realize that what makes someone attractive sustainably, what one really great dimension can make you attractive for a night, for a week, maybe even for a year. When someone's infatuated with your ambition, for example, that can make you super attractive for a time. When someone is attracted to your sense of kindness, that can be really attractive for a time. If someone is attracted to your sense of humor, likewise. What happens though, is when we realize that someone only has one dimension, and we instinctively as human beings, we crave different dimensions. We want the pendulum to swing. In different directions at times. So the person that we're with that's really funny, we also want them to at times be really deep and meaningful with us. We want to have really deep, meaningful conversations. When we have that, we have what I call a unique pairing. Two qualities that you don't normally find in the same person, in the same person. You know, I always joke, I sometimes in my events I throw up a, a picture of like Tom Hardy, you know, with these tattoos and looking all muscly, but he's holding a baby. And the women in the audience just there's an audible groan that happens when I put up this picture. And I say, why is that? Why is that happening right now? If I just threw up a picture of Tom Hardy, I might not get that effect. If I just threw up a picture of a guy with a baby, I might not get that effect. But put up a super masculine guy holding a baby, and you know the sensitivity and the nurturing that that implies, and you have a unique pairing. And unique pairings make people irresistible. So what I do in my coaching and in my products and programs is I show people how to develop unique pairings over time that make them irresistible to the opposite sex. For me, in terms of what I've added over the years, I think as my confidence has grown, I've always had a goofy side but as my confidence has grown, that side of me has come out more and that silliness has come out more. So, you know, I think we have on my YouTube channel, I think we have unique pairings. People will one week see me talking about something very serious and very hard hitting. And then the next week they'll see me do an absurd spoof video of 50 shades of gray called 50 shades of Earl gray. And You know, it's about me having a tea fetish. You know, they'll see those two things side by side. And if they, you know, at one point they were like, oh, he's super serious and gets into all of this meaningful stuff. Then the next week, I'm a a complete idiot. And people go, oh, wow, this person's got different dimensions. It's unpredictable. It keeps me guessing. So I think that's probably one side of it. I think probably I can be the kindest person in the world and I can also be very ruthless and decisive and, and really pack a punch when I need to. So I catch people off guard a lot because sometimes they, if, if someone saw me, for example, in a seminar and I can get, I can really have teeth, you know, when I'm debating with someone on a panel or in a seminar, people are like, Oh wow, he's kind of, a, and then if they meet me in person, They see a completely different side to me, and there's a real kindness and a warmth to me. And they're like, Oh, I didn't expect this. And it it really catches people off guard because they don't quite know where to place you. And that to me is the beginning of attraction. When someone doesn't quite know where to place you, it creates a curiosity. A very wise guy I know once said to me, Attraction is about keeping someone slightly off balance. And it's so true. The moment someone realizes they can't quite place you, they can't quite stereotype you the way they thought they ha- they thought they had you all figured out. And turns out they didn't. That's where attraction begins.
0: I've seen that in my own dating life play out where I can't place them and therefore I need to see them again. Cause like, I don't, I don't know how to place them.
1: And by the way, isn't that interesting? You know, what you just said can directly be applied to long-term relationships. This is where people lose their way because they think that that's just something that applies, Ah, oh, that just applies to the, the frivolities of early dating and the ups and downs and roller coaster of the honeymoon period but I'm in a serious relationship now and we know each other and there's a oneness to us and we don't have that anymore. Those are often the same people, almost invariably, are the same people who say that the passion doesn't last, that it changes, that the sex life changes, and you can't hold on to that passion forever. That's not what a relationship is. Well, I say nonsense. What A long-term relationship that stays passionate and stays exciting is one where you do know your partner, but they're also surprising you still. There are also ways that they are keeping you on your toes and making you realize, huh, I didn't know they were capable of that, or I didn't know that was possible for them, or they're learning in ways that I hadn't anticipated, or they're still growing. That sense of surprise and wonder in relationships is what keeps them alive. And as soon as people think that they know each other too well and either stop growing for their partner or assume that their partner isn't growing and stop getting to know them, that's when the relationship begins dying.
0: If you find it challenging to find someone in your specific area that shares the same values and lifestyle choices as yourself, do you think that dating can be done long distance? This is actually a very selfish question. (laughs) This is my question to you (laughs) as someone who's currently living in Michigan. And not that there's anything wrong with Ann Arbor by any means, but what I'm looking for in a partner is... A pretty unique special unicorn of traits.
1: And you found a unicorn?
0: I haven't found one locally, no. There's a lot of uh, postdocs and PhDs.
1: You have found one far away?
0: Well, I think that they probably are out there, but not likely to be in my local coffee shop or bar.
1: Got it. Well, one of the advantages for people living more mobile lives these days is that type of thing becomes more possible. And to some extent it's wherever possible worth falling in love with somebody else who's mobile
0: yeah that's what i'm actually looking for is the mobile person and that's why it's not as likely to find specifically here where i'm at right now
1: no I, you know and and look what we have to also remember is that the right person is a combination of the person that's right for us and the person whose circumstances are right for us And that's always worth bearing in mind that, you know, sometimes we swing too far in the direction of mindless romanticism where, you know, that's to me, that's where you get the, you know, the person falling in love with someone 20 years their junior and you say, okay, they may be in love. But are they also looking 10 years ahead at where this is going to be and whether this is going to create problems? And it might be that you fall in love with someone who's also in love with you and says they're not ready right now for a relationship, that doesn't make them perfect for you. It might make them an awesome person that you wish was perfect for you. But if someone's circumstances aren't right, they're still not right for you. And that's really important to remember whenever we're playing the violin for ourselves because someone is too far away, because, you know, we're both not able to move. It's worth reminding ourselves that if the circumstances aren't right, then the person isn't right. Because the right person is the combination of both. So I think it can work long distance. And I I think we have to be very, very scrutinizing when we decide whether it's worth it. I was in a long distance relationship for two years where I kept telling myself it was a wonderful person that I wanted to be with. And then two years later, when that person moved to be with me, we got two weeks in and realized we were horrible for each other imagine that, <laughs> imagine that. And, and that was two years of my life spent traveling long distance to see someone. And really why, you know, I look back and I think that I just, because every time we saw each other was a honeymoon, because it was for a week at a time here, a week at a time there, you know, we had this very false sense of how right it was. And that's why I say I think we really have to be scrutinizing about is this person really worth it? Is this connection what I'm claiming it is? And even if it is, is it worth disrupting my life right now in the way that I'd need to in order to do this? And what I would encourage people to do is when it gets to the stage where you are dating someone long distance and you feel like it's appropriate to do so, you do need to have the conversation sooner rather than later about whether there's the possibility of, of one of you moving or both of you moving or whatever, because if there's not light at the end of the tunnel and if there's no plan, you could stay in that limbo for a very long time and end up looking back saying, I spent too much time there. And that that's a shame. So I always encourage people to actually be honest and be candid with their partner and have them do the same about whether there is a plan or not or whether they're just both stringing each other along right now until they both find something better that's
0: a great answer to that question thank you so actually it makes me ask you because i'm sure there are many women listening to this episode wondering what traits you're personally looking for in a partner
1: hmm. i don't get asked that nearly as often as you would expect that's funny you know it's tough i have gotten to a point in my life now i ca- you know i come from a family out of the east end of london which for those listening who don't know, is at the time I was born there, not a place you'd brag about being from in that sense. You know, people say you're from London. Uh, That's amazing. And I always, you know, want to say to people, well, not the side of London you're thinking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, my family are all hardworking People are very modest. You know, we really had ups and downs growing up. And, you know, I'm now at a position in my life where that's changed and I'm, I'm able to live a different life. And I think for me, it's finding someone who, and I'm aware of how difficult this is, but finding someone who both is able to enjoy what I've created now with me and at the same time has a real rich appreciation of the fact that I haven't always been here and this isn't where I come from Um, and can interact with both worlds because I I am so fortunate these days to be able to interact with some really amazing people and super accomplished people and people who, who started in a place I didn't start in and I love hanging out with those people. I love, I love hanging out with all different types of people, but I also then, you know, have to bring that person home and have them meet my very colorful family. (laughs) And, and, you know, a family that, you know, is still just a a wonderful, modest family out of the East end and everything that comes with that. And, you know, finding that balance is, is not always easy. So I, you know, I want to find someone with that kind of richness of perspective and, I also want to find someone who is someone who's attractive inside and outside without being the person who takes selfies of themselves at the gym. You know, I, I live in LA right now. I live between LA and New York. And, you know, I was at the gym one day last week and I saw three different people take selfies of themselves in the mirror after doing their sit ups. And I thought I just could never be with that person you know, I I, I want to be with the person who has not become part of this self-obsessed culture that we are now. And that's tough. And I sometimes slip into that as well. You know, we we all do, especially with, you know, my brand being built around me and, uh, you know, all of that. There's, there is an inherent kind of narcissism to that, that I'm always fearful of. And so I, I always look for people that that are the opposite of that and also take me away from that as well because I, I just think it's such a self-obsessed world. Instagram has made everyone uh, hyper aware of their looks and constantly paying attention to it in, in what I think is a really unhealthy way. Facebook and Twitter and all of these places have people running their personal PR campaigns day and night and I just, I just would love someone who isn't trapped in that world. Uh, someone who is able to play in it and, you know, enjoys it for what it is, but someone who is just sees has perspective enough to know that the world is much bigger than us uh, and our Instagram profiles and no one cares and just is about experiences instead of pretending to the world. We're having experiences. Does that, (laughs) I feel like you've, this is the danger, of course, of being a great interviewer and asking a question that someone doesn't normally get asked, is they will go off on a mental digression in thinking of their answer for the first time. But hopefully that gives some light to it.
0: Absolutely. It's been a joy to talk to you. What doubts or internal resistance are you currently facing in your life right now?
1: One of my probably greatest bits of internal resistance is in whether I am at the stage of my life where I'm ready to fully settle down and commit to somebody. I've been brought up by my family to be a connector and someone who's super loving and loves to be in love and loves to have deep, meaningful relationships with people. I'm also at a stage of my life where I'm just now really coming out of a decade of living in a shell, keeping my head down and working. And it's interesting to, you know, be a man who has given up really his 20s to work hard and just keep my head down and, you know, try to achieve and create a sense of independence and freedom for myself. And then be coming out of that decade and, you know, then people are saying to you, well, it's, maybe you should start thinking about settling down and you go, but wait, (laughs) you know, I, I just, I just left my house. Like I just came out to play, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. And also of course, because, you know, I'm a lover in that way and I love to connect with people. I don't tend to gravitate towards really meaningless interactions or one night stands where, you know, I never speak to that person again. It just doesn't do anything for me. In that sense. So I, you know, I'm I'm the guy who wakes up with someone and then really does want to see them again, (laughs) you know, and does want to get to know them better and all of that. But at the same time, I'm very conflicted about whether I'm ready for everything that uh, a a long term relationship would entail. So I'm conflicted there. And, you know, it's, it's uh, something that I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with, which is one of the great ironies, of course, of, of where I am and what I do. Uh, But I'm always very honest with people about that kind of thing because I think it's, you know, we're all conflicted in various ways. And I think it's, I I owe it to people to be honest about where I'm at.
0: And what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey?
1: I would tell people that it's going to be wonderful and it's also going to suck. And probably both of those things in great quantities. And that's okay. You're, you know, in a way sometimes the better you do the more it sucks because if you meet someone amazing because you're an amazing attractive person and you've been proactive and then it for whatever reason doesn't go your way or you know you don't end up being right for each other that because you it's been so amazing it also has the potential to really hurt and I don't want to say break your heart because I'm not always a big fan of the term, but it, it does have the potential to leave some wounds that, albeit temporary, still really, really hurt. And that's okay. Don't let the bad parts stop you from pursuing the good parts because that's life. Life is, is the ups and the downs, and it, it's still nice to be alive. Even when you're hurting, you're learning something. And you're gaining experience and knowledge and wonderful depth and richness of character for the next person that you meet. And that is something you shouldn't trade for any amount of comfort. So run headfirst into everything that's coming is the advice I'd give.
0: Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: I really appreciate it. And I would love, you know, for everyone listening, I know that people do struggle with texting, as you said, in the beginning of this interview. And for that, I created an incredibly easy cheat sheet for people of amazing texts that really make you the most intriguing woman in a man's life. And there are actually nine of them on this cheat sheet. It's super easy to digest. It's super quick, but you can literally take these nine texts and start sending them to a guy that you're attracted to right now, whether you've... You know, dated him before and he's gone cold, whether he's a guy you just met yesterday or a guy that you haven't spoken to in two years, they just work. So if anyone wants to go and download, that is completely free as a guide, and it's the most invaluable texting cheat sheet I think you will ever find, and it's at ninetexts.com, and that can be either the number nine or the word nine, but it's at ninetexts.com. People can go and download that right now. Well, thank you so much, Jess. It's been such a pleasure doing the interview with you. And um, I-, I wish you all the luck in the world. I know your audience is very lucky to have you.
0: And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Matthew, thank you for coming on the show. If you'd like to send Matthew a message, you can do so on Instagram at gettheguy, And you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at Jess C as in cinnamon roll lively. For show notes for today's episode, please hop over to JessLively.com backslash Matthew Hussey. And again, to get a free 30-day trial of audible.com and get a free book credit, which you can use to get Matthew's book, Get the Guy, or any other book you've been wanting to read, hop over to audible.com backslash lively. Thanks to Audible for supporting the show and giving us a way to read books for free, including Matthew's. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, I'd like to take some time to share about today's other sponsor, FreshBooks.com. I love FreshBooks. For anyone who is a freelance or a self-employed person that does not have a storefront, if you are not liking the bookkeeping software you're using, I can only ask you, and ask and ask and ask, that you give FreshBooks a shot. I have used it for four years. I love it. It's beautiful. It's simple. It makes bookkeeping fun to do. I can't even believe I'm saying that in the same sentence, but it's true go over to freshbooks.com backslash lively to give that 30-day free trial a shot. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I do. If you're someone that enjoys beautiful software that functions so effortlessly, it can send and track all of your invoices and all of your expenses relatively effortlessly and create reports at a moment's notice, this is the software you're needing. Check it out again at freshbooks.com backslash lively. And now for a sneak peek. Next week on the show, we're having Micah May of maydesigns.com as our guest. Micah's a friend of mine based in Austin with a very successful customizable notebook company called May Designs. She's also a mother of three, including one with Down syndrome. Her story is so inspiring. And in our conversation, we're gonna be getting really, really real about some stuff that she and I are both facing in our personal lives and careers that I believe... This subject we're gonna speak on is going to become one of the biggest messages and most impactful things that I'll be sharing going forward in the work that I do in the years to come. I can't wait to share this with you guys. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.